Well, when you live in New York City, you never forget your first celebrity sighting. Mine was Jesse Tyler Ferguson, an actor best known for his role on Modern Family. It was spring 2014, and he was coming out of the Astor Place stop in the East Village, and I couldn't believe he was, he was right there, inhaling the grit and the grime, just like us plebes that he would deign to leave his heights of glory to get on the six. I might have been projecting, but he seemed to have a, a sheepish look, as if to say, yeah, I, I'm surprised I'm here too. <laughs> Since then, I've seen a smattering of celebrities in New York, although the pandemic drove away many of them. To borrow some terms from the world of birdwatching, which is another of my passions, which I will not get into now, but we're at the height of the birdwatching season. It's very exciting. So to borrow from that world, I have a life list, a list of uh, celebrities I have seen, I have spotted in the wild. And I also have a list of dream sightings. And at the top of my dream celebrity sightings list is Ethan Hawke who lives in a Greek Revival-style brick townhouse in Borum Hill, which apparently sold in 2013 for 3.9 million. This is how he stands in his home. <laughs> it's very naturalistic. So I learned this all from some internet research that was very legitimate and not at all stalkerish. And there are actually websites that you can go to that list the addresses of some of your favorite actors musicians, performers. Hawk apparently lives close to Paul Giamatti, um, Steve Buscemi, Bjork. These would be some very exotic birds to spot in the wild. <laughs> Seeing celebrities in the wild can bring up a strange mix of emotions. We might want to talk to them, to thank them for their work or tell them how much they mean to us. And New Yorkers have told me never Never do this. Be cool. Even still, there's something, about, there's something exciting about seeing celebrities in the flesh, so to speak, because it's easy for us to forget that they actually are people in the flesh, just like you and me. Most of our experiences with famous people are mediated rather than embodied. We see them and hear them through the channels of mass media. That's a key essential aspect of modern celebrity. Radio, television, film, gossip magazines, social media, the internet, all of these bring us into contact with a vastly larger number of names, places, faces, and voices than at any time in history. And these media are astonishingly effective at creating feelings of intimacy for us as consumers. Of course, this intimacy is an illusion. Uh, in my mind and heart, Ethan Hawke and I end up falling in love, walking the streets of Vienna, just like in the movie Before Sunrise. <laughs> this is the worst Photoshop job ever. But if I met the real Ethan Hawke, the one who apparently hangs out in Borum Hill, I might actually be disappointed to learn that he's a bit disheveled or rude or not that interesting. That can't be true, but, you know, just hypothetically. Also, it goes without saying, he would not notice me at all. 
Last year, I published a book on celebrity in the church called Celebrities for Jesus. And in the book, I define celebrity as social power without proximity. Mass media create the platforms on which celebrities influence, inspire, and entertain us. They captivate our hearts and minds, but all from the distance of the stage and the screen. And on one level, the power differential between us and them is very obvious. They are recognized in a crowd. We tend to blend in. Their work has touched millions of lives, and you know, most of us are happy if just one person really sees and hears us. And yet the power differential between us and them is on another level quite hidden. Here is how author and journalist Andy Crouch describes modern celebrity power. It is the power of the one shot, the face filling the frame, the close mic, the voice dropped to a lover's whisper, the memoir, the tweet, the selfie, the insta, the snap. All of it gives us the ability to seem to know someone without in fact knowing much about them at all since in the end, we know only what they and the systems of power that grow up around them choose for us to know. Modern celebrity feeds our desire for disclosure, even for intimacy. We want the curtain pulled back, forgetting that we can never really see celebrities for the people they are unless we are in actual embodied relationship with them. Otherwise, what we see is mostly smoke and mirrors PR. It's what they want to, want to give us. There is much money to be made in selling us this false intimacy. Prince Harry, is, this, is it the Duke of Sussex? Yes, okay. The Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry, um, earned an estimated $40 million to write his new memoir, Spare, as well as three forthcoming memoirs, and I feel very confident in saying nobody needs to write four memoirs. Like, no, it doesn't, I, I know your royalty, I know you've had a very interesting life, but no one needs to write four memoirs. Uh, the memoir, Spare, sold 1.43 million copies in one day. In it, Harry reveals previously unknown and shocking details about palace life, he and Meghan Markle left the royal family in 2020 in an event that will go down in history as Megxit. I didn't come, I just, it's just a funny, clever thing from, from the internet. <laughs> but since then, they have found a different and lucrative type of royalty as brand moguls and multimedia content creators. Of course, Prince Harry would know deeply and painfully the toll that celebrity takes on real people. His mother, Princess Diana, was arguably the first modern global celebrity. She blended the traditional intrigue of the royal family with the new charisma and style of Hollywood. Her wedding to Prince Charles was viewed by 750 million people worldwide. And she knew how to give a compelling media interview at times she seemed to want the spotlight. And yet she was surveilled and hounded by ravenous photographers and tabloid journalists up to the moment of her death in 1994 at age 36. I can't believe she was just 36. 
The business of celebrity wouldn't work without consumer demand. It would not work without us. Some of Diana's most notorious paparazzi were paid over half a million dollars per image, per photo. And so we, meant in the broadest sense, deemed those, those photos valuable with our eyes and our attention. There's a reason it's called celebrity worship. So what's, what's going on here? As with all things, celebrity power has a spiritual dimension. Our fixation on celebrities or on trying to become them ourselves betrays a spiritual hunger unique to late modernity. Religious feeling has replaced religious practice. We are made to worship, and yet the decline of traditional faith communities leaves us with the worship impulse but without the proper object. So we end up looking to the created things, technology, money, success, consumer goods, the latest tech gadget, sex, beauty, goes on and on, to fulfill ultimate ends. Lutheran theologians Dina and Michael Weinstein say that celebrity worship in our time bears the marks of polytheism. They note that modern celebrities come in all flavors, that there's a celebrity for every interest, fear, and desire of our shared life. They write, celebrity worship is a substitute for traditional faith in a culture that denies both the truth and demands of traditional faith. It satisfies spiritual needs with a weak religion that allows us to worship the best, the worst, and the most banal of ourselves. Some of these weak religious communities have names whereby members can find each other and band together. Do we have any Swifties in our midst? Wow, okay, we have one. Look at him. <laughs> um, we have the Beliebers. Very clever, very clever. Um, and my favorite, the Shirios. Anybody can guess who the Shirios adore? You're right. Did it remain? It, it, was a, it was a GIF. I'm very sad that the GIF isn't moving. All right. Weak religion, indeed. So it, it goes without saying, most of us don't have literal shrines set up to worship our favorite actors, leaders, or um, social media influencers. But in the recesses of our hearts, our attention, our wallets, our celebrity fixation draws us away in our attention from our fellow, fellow image bearers, often making them seem boring and dull or annoying by comparison. How is it that I know more factoids about stand-up comedian John Mulaney than I do my flesh and blood neighbors? The people who actually live in my apartment building, I don't know their names. <laughs> I know that one of them has a dog. But like, I could tell you the Wikipedia entree, entree <laughs> for John Mulaney. This seems strange to me. I have only a handful of celebrity crushes and John Mulaney is one of them. He is tall, he is smart, he's very funny. His newest comedy special on Netflix called Baby J released this week, it's very good. 
It does include some florid language, but I can recommend it because um, our rector, Jacob Smith, once recommended the TV show Peaky Blinders in a sermon. So, that, so I, feel, I feel morally good about this recommendation. A lot of people, to be more specific, a lot of women, um, had seen Mulaney as a great guy, a wife guy, if you will, until 2021, when news of Mulaney's divorce and a new dating relationship and a baby on the way went public. And then a lot of people on the internet had big feelings about personal events that didn't affect them or involve them at all. Fans felt personally hurt <laughs> by Mulaney's new life course. How could he do this to us? This is called a parasocial relationship. You might have heard this term kind of come up in the fodder around Mulaney in 2021. A parasocial relationship is a mediated, often very intense, and always one-sided connection that fans feel is an intimate and real one. And it meets deep psychological, relational, even spiritual needs for the fans, even while the celebrity is not really hoping to participate in this relationship. Fandom and fan culture create inhuman expectations for humans. We put people on pedestals to serve as icons, people who can represent our dreams and values and aspirations and reflect them back to us. We want superhuman role models, including and maybe especially in the church among our leaders. We want others to be perfect so that we don't have to be. And it goes without saying, it is, it's great to admire specific people in our actual lives. There's nothing wrong with appreciating people's work in the world, their talents or creativity, their generosity. But putting people, including celebrities, on pedestals is inhumane, I would argue, because it leaves little room for grace, something that all humans need. It forecloses on famous people being people who, by dint of their peopleness, are in need of divine and human mercy. Ethan Hawke once said in an interview, thinking about his fame, which started relatively young for him, and I think young fame has uh, especially disastrous effects. He says, the thing that nobody tells you about fame is that I could never make a first impression ever again. I could never make a first impression ever again. It's a weird thing to give up because the idea that you can start again tomorrow, it's valuable to us. When celebrities act like people, which is to say, when they mess up, when they get it wrong, we, the viewing public, have a hard time offering pathways of redemption for them. Our imagination is stymied by the image of them we hold dear, the persona, not letting them grow into the complex and glorious people that they could be. It is alarming how delicious it can be to see celebrities fall from grace, though. You will recall the set of female stars from the 90s and 2000s 
notably Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, the ways that even their names became, you know, punchlines. They were both excoriated for challenges in their personal lives, suffering, actually, suffering that was almost certainly brought on by being thrust in the spotlight at very young ages. And we played into their downfall and then watched like gawkers at a car crash as their lives fell apart. We know our fascination with celebrity borders on idolatry because of the human toll it takes. It's axiomatic to note the costs of fame. Substance use, other addictions are a very common way to cope. And there's a paradox of superstardom. The more that people know of you, the fewer people can actually know you. I'm, I, I swear this is my last quote of Ethan Hawke. It's a, it's a little, it's, it's unhealthy, you know, it's an unhealthy attachment. I am preaching to myself, okay? Ethan Hawke compares fame to an isolation box, which is something that people use to torture prisoners. So this is, this is not a, a glamorous or um, inspirational kind of life he's describing. Where can celebrities show up as their authentic, glorious and broken selves to be known and loved? Where can they go to just be Ethan or John and not also have to be Ethan Hawke and John Mulaney? What Ethan and John and all of our favorite celebrities need is actually what we all need, of course. They need communities of close proximity where they can be deeply known and deeply loved. They need relationships that are teleological, aimed at their highest good and flourishing, rather than transactional. Like us, they need people in their lives who see all their junk <laughs> in full view and also say with their actions and lives, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying for the long haul. Here is how retired pastor and author Tim Keller puts it. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Lest we forget, celebrities are, they're just like us, as the tabloid magazines say. I totally read these magazines at the nail salon, by the way. Like, I know intellectually that it's gross, but I'm like, mm. <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been waiting for this. They are just like us, but not just in the earthly uh, quotidian things like brushing your teeth and making a run to Dunkin' Donuts, as Ben Affleck likes to do. They are like us in an eternal way, in, as people created, known, and loved by God just like us, meaning that they are people for whom Christ died and whom God longs to invite to the great banquet feast. And there won't be any VIP seating at the feast. <laughs> there won't be paparazzi, there won't be a red carpet, there won't be a hierarchy, a ranking of people uh, based on their talents or their beauty or their wealth. At the great banquet feast, there will be rest and joy and true belonging. And maybe we'll get to talk to some of our favorite 
actors and performers there, not as objects to be adored or to ogle or to get a selfie with, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord for eternity. But until then, as we await the great banquet feast, we can fix our attention on the people in front of us. In the end, they are no less glorious, no more terrible, and no less worthy of our attention than the famous people on our feeds. Thank you.